It's four o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. And welcome to Calvary Live, the program where you get to call in and ask questions and questions about the Bible or Christian living or current events that are going on. How does it affect us as a Christian? Uh, what should our worldview be as a Christian? Love to talk to you and discuss those things with you. Uh, also an opportunity for you to give your prayer requests. And the number to call, as you just heard at the opening of the show, is 303-690-3000. Lines are open. It's great to be able to grab one of those open lines right away to get on the show. Love to have that discussion with you. Those of you who are listening on Grace FM all along the front range from Pueblo, Colorado, up through southern Wyoming, 101.7 in southern Colorado. I want to welcome all of you in the Fountain, Pueblo, Colorado Springs area, and then 89.7 from Castle Rock on up along the front range, as I said, into Wyoming. It's so good to have you with us today. Also want to welcome the Hope FM listeners on the East Coast. And you can call it this number, 303-690-3000. You can ask your questions at this time as well and be uh, able to get on the air and um, to be able to talk about the things of the Lord. So I'd love to hear from you on the East Coast. Also, I want to welcome all the online listeners. I know that there are online listeners all around the country, perhaps. You have opportunity to call at 303-690-3000. We welcome you to the program as well. There is a means for you to be able to text in a question, and the text line is 720-336-0897. Let me say that again, 720-336-0897. And I would, uh, if you're a regular listener to the show, uh, just kind of put that in your favorites and your contacts, and you can pull it up and be able to text a question in. And as time permits, uh, we'll be able to get to those questions that you text in. Well, it's so good to be with you today as uh, we look at what's going on around us all around the world. We see that um, uh, the nations of the world and the leaders of those nations are gathering in New York at the UN General Assembly. We heard our own president speak today and uh, it's kind of interesting. We are on Wednesday night here at Calvary Chapel Greeley in the book of Isaiah, and it's such an incredible book. We just started it last week. We had an introduction to the book of Isaiah. It's one of the most incredible books of all of the Bible. It's called the Miniature Bible because it has 66 chapters, and of course, from Genesis to Revelation, there are 66 books in the Bible, and Isaiah um, was the most articulate, uh, of, I believe, of all the prophets, and just writing and touching uh, the hearts of the people, and you just see that. And, uh, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God, but an incredible book, incredible prophecy, as he writes about uh, the uh, judgment that would come against Israel and Judah because of their sin, but he also looks to the future and speaks about our day. And uh, and Isaiah has a wonderful way of giving hope to the people, our hope being in in the Lord and uh, turning to him. And in chapter 1, as he begins that indictment against the nation because of their sin, 
we see that he says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. And just that wonderful uh, statement of forgiveness, of course, that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for you and for me, and he is our hope. And Isaiah talks more about uh, the coming Messiah than any other you know, book of, of the Old Testament. And he talks about uh, not only the suffering Messiah that would come Jesus in his first advent, but also the reigning Messiah, uh, the, the Messiah that will come the second time in great glory. And it's interesting, as I mentioned about the United Nations, uh, in the entrance of their building on a plaque, they have Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4 written, that they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn uh, war anymore. And we know that uh, even though there are those who uh, try to pursue peace, uh, we uh, commend them for that in trying to bring peace in the world. There will not be peace in this world until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back and establishes his kingdom. So let's talk about the things of the Lord. Give me a call, 303-690-3000. We have open lines, and I'd love to be able to talk to you uh, about the things that the Lord pray with you as you have prayer requests. We'd love to be able to lift you up in prayer or those requests that you give to us. Let's go to Al in Loveland. Hello. Al? My, my question are- is just what happens to our spirit when we, uh, when we, when we die. Uh, yeah, we've told a-, a couple of different things, and I just wanted to see what your point of view is and what the Scripture says. Well, what the Scripture says, for those of us who are Christians, that Paul writes about that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we see that um, in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and we see that in um, verse uh, 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the promise is given to us according to Second Corinthians chapter 5, that when the Christian dies, they go on to be with the Lord. Now, the non-Christian, or the one who has rejected Jesus Christ, has a different fate, because everybody's going to pass on to eternity. It's just, where are you going to go? And to the Christian, to go before the presence of the Lord, and to the non-Christian, they will go to Hades, and there, with the unrighteous dead, are going to be, and then at that time, at the end of the millennium reign, according to Revelation chapter 20, they will be resurrected at that time and sentenced into outer darkness or the lake of fire. Does that help? Uh, no, not really. I guess I should have uh, been a little bit more specific about my question. So the ones, um, we know that the, uh, let's see here, the ones that do not know the truth, do not uh, know of God, um, not so much uh, reject him, but uh, just never, never seek him, and and live in the worldly world that we live in. What happens to those people? Well, I think that, and maybe I'm not getting exactly what you're saying, but there's one way to salvation. I'm going to start there. And Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
It's a very simple statement, but it's also a very exclusive statement. Jesus would say to the religious leaders, if you do not believe that I am he, that you will die in your sins. So those who have not uh, given themselves in faith to Jesus Christ in the finished work of the cross and have received him as Lord and Savior, they go on to um, you know, the unrighteous dead in Hades. Uh, we kind of get that from Luke chapter 16, and then also as we go to Revelation, as I said, at that time after the millennium reign, the second resurrection, it is called, where they will be resurrected, and then they'll be sentenced out of darkness as they stand before the great white throne judgment. Was there more something specific for that question you were trying to ask? Yeah, I guess my understanding is no matter what, if you don't if you don't have any faith or, or any belief in Jesus Christ, then you're um, joined with the unrighteous ones, the ones that reject, even one that yeah. uh, lives a a good life, good morals, yeah, but never went, exactly. went into church, never got baptized. They're basically yeah. in that other category, right? Yeah, and that's, that's the that's the thing that we need to. That's the gospel message. Jesus didn't come, you know, um, and, and die to make good people better. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and save, save that which is lost. That's one of the themes of Luke's gospel. And we're all lost. And, and it's important to understand the gospel message that we have all sinned. And all, the wages of sin is death. So we're all guilty. And that's why... When Jesus prayed in the garden, and think about this, when he was sweating great drops of blood, he prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was saying in that prayer, if it is possible for a man or a woman to be saved in any other way, if he could be saved by being good enough, by being righteous enough, by being religious enough, by being smart enough or whatever, then I don't need to go through the cup of suffering and death. But because that it was the will of the Father that Jesus would go, uh, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He went to the cross. He said to Peter, I'll take on the cup of suffering and death, because there was no other way for salvation. Salvation comes through the finished work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, faith in him. Salvation doesn't come by any other means, by being good enough or religious enough. Our hope alone is in Jesus Christ. Right. I agree with that. Um, I, I just have a, a problem understanding how the Scripture says all needs will bend and all times will confess. And in that sense, I'm thinking everybody, when he says all, sinners, good people, Christians, even people that right. don't even know, that's, that's where I kind of get back. Yeah, and you're, you're quoting from Philippians chapter 2, right? Philippians chapter 2, you know, as Paul is talking about, um, you know, having the same heart, one accord, uh, the conduct that we have towards each other of uh, humility, uh, serving one another. We, we know that Paul goes on to say that the greatest example of that was Jesus. And I'm going to read it to you for the sake of our readers, our listeners, that is. 
Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when Paul writes that, he's not talking about a universal salvation. He's talking about there's going to be a time where everybody's going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is, you know, his name above every other name, and uh, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the question is, are you going to do it before you die, or are you going to be forced to do it at the great white throne judgment? Because at the great white throne judgment, that rejection of Jesus Christ, um, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, at that time that uh, the Lord says, well, you know, go ahead and confess. It's too late. Um, Hebrews says that it's appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. So those who have rejected him are going to come to that point where they're going to have to acknowledge that he is Lord, um, to the glory of God the Father. They're going to be forced to bow the knee to him, to his lordship. So the thing is, that's why it's important that we get the gospel out to people for them to humble themselves now before their life comes to an end, and, um, and to do it now freely and willingly. Thank you so much for your time and uh, accepting my you call. Bet. Thank you. you bet, Al. God bless you. 303-690-3000 is the number to call. we got open lines. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. You know, I think one of the things that Christians really kind of struggle with is that, um, you know, faith in Jesus Christ alone brings salvation, but it's the very heart of the gospel that we've sinned, that Jesus went to the cross to take care of the sin problem, to ask for forgiveness for our sins, to come to him as Lord and Savior. He is our salvation. And that's what makes Christianity really unique compared to all other world religions. All other religions say this is what you have to do to be saved. Only uniquely, true biblical Christianity says that um, it's not based our salvation on what we do. It's based on what he did and to recognize our need for him, to come to salvation, to give our lives to him, uh, to make sure that uh, we are ones um, that uh, recognize our need for him, uh, to come to him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, uh, and so I encourage if any of you are out there listening today, maybe there is somebody uh, that you're listening, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you thought that you were okay because you've gone to church or you listened to Bible study or you um, are a good person, a good parent, uh, you provide for your family, whatever the case may be. That doesn't bring salvation. It is faith alone in him. So, um, you know, uh, give your life to him. And uh, if you want to know more about it, give me a call, 303-690-3000. And we want to make sure that you understand the gospel message very clear. Well, let's go to Angie in Denver. Angie? Hi, it's Nancy, actually. Um, Nancy? Yeah, Nancy. It's okay. My phone really doesn't work well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How are are you, Nancy? I'm I'm okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. Keep saying like this Saturday, okay? I know there's no time or hour <laughs> that is stated, okay? And I try to look in Revelation 12 on it, and I'm like, okay, I I see it. I just I need some clarity on that. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the thing, Nancy. Um, there's been some uh, things that posted uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's matter of fact, uh, Fox News came up with this article on Sunday that there are those out there um, that are saying that the world's going to end on September 23rd. And there are those who are saying Revelation chapter 12 is going to be fulfilled. And I, I think that's what you're talking about. I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 12 and then um, kind of explain to those listeners that may be not familiar with uh was starting to get a lot of press and attention. Um, but in Revelation chapter 12, now a great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. And, and it goes on um, and talks about uh, the the woman giving birth to a child, and then uh, the dragon going after uh, the woman. and um, And so... Uh, there are those who say because of a, a lining of stars and constellations in the moon and the sun that Revelation chapter 12 is going to be fulfilled this Saturday. Uh, apparently, according to the Fox uh, News article, there are those who are saying that the world's going to end or there's going to be great judgment that's going to come. That's one of the reasons why the eclipse in Hurricane Harvey, uh, Hurricane Irma, uh, just a week and a half ago, uh, we've uh, got another Category 5 hurricane in the Atlantic that has set its, um, you know, to hit Puerto Rico and maybe a threat to the East Coast. So there are those who are saying that this Revelation chapter 12 is going to be fulfilled. Here's the thing, Nancy. I can tell you with certainty that Revelation chapter 12 is not going to be fulfilled this Saturday. All right? And a couple... <laughs> Yeah, and and here's the thing. Revelation chapter 12, and, and this is important to understand, and we've talked about it here at Calvary Chapel Greeley because we just—it's it, interesting that on Sunday, the verses that they are using in Luke's Gospel, we are, I was actually teaching on it on Sunday. And they are saying, and I'm going to read it to you from Luke um, chapter 21, but— um, there are certain signs in the Olivet Discourse when the disciples asked Jesus, when are these things going to be? You know, Jesus told them when they were up on the temple that not one stone's going to be upon another. And they were shocked. They were stunned when Jesus said that. So they thought if the temple's going to be ripped apart, not one stone upon another, then it's got to be the end of the world. And it's got to be your coming. So they asked him, when are these things going to be? What are the signs of the end of the age? And what are the signs of your coming? And Jesus answers that. And as you go into Luke chapter 21, you okay, see well, that sorry, Jesus— where did he say that at? Because that's, that's the scripture I can't find. Okay, Luke chapter 21. Okay, okay. The Olivet Discourse, I'm going to give you a couple other references, is also in— Matthew chapter 24, okay, in Mark chapter 13. And in Luke chapter 21, Jesus says this, Take heed, for many are going to be deceived. He goes on and he talks about nation are going to rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilence. There's going to be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And then in verse 25, he continues with the signs. 
that there'll be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations, perplexity, disease, the waves roaring. So there are those who will quote this and say, see, this is all part of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. So, Nancy, do you know what the tribulation period is? Uh, isn't that what we're in now? <laughs> no. That's okay. the problem. There's the teaching out... After the rapture. Well, here's, here's the scenario, okay? There are Christians today that are being told that we're in the day of the Lord or the tribulation period. We are not in the day of the Lord. We are not in the tribulation period. The tribulation period starts with, according to Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, the coming on the scene of one who's called the Antichrist. He's going to be a world leader. He's going to be an economic leader, political leader, military leader. He's going to be uh, uh, you know, uh, a religious leader, even. He's going to support a false world church. We know from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, there, there's a seven-year period that begins with the Antichrist coming on the scene where he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel that probably is going to allow them to rebuild their temple. So kind of just stay with me. That term that we're going to see as we're going through the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, the day of the Lord starts with the tribulation period, Seven years of tribulation, where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. At the end of that seven years is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he comes literally, physically, touches down on the Mount of Olives. We are going to come back with him. And then there's the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. We are not in the day of the Lord. We're not in the tribulation period. And so that's why we can say with certainty that Revelation chapter 12 is not going to be fulfilled on Saturday. Now, here's the thing. You mentioned the rapture of the church. When we talk, we talk about the return of the Lord, we talk about two distinct events. There's the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Have you read those verses, Nancy? No. Okay. That's where we get the rapture of the church. That's a, a, there's other verses that point to it, but I'm going to read it to you as I turn to it. Uh, Paul says this, that, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, so there's going to be a generation of those who are alive, and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That word caught up is the Greek word harpazo, which means a sudden taking. It's the Latin word rapturus, where we get the English word rapture. So there's going to be a time, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that it will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So there's going to be a generation of Christians that are going to meet the Lord in the air, in a twinkle of an eye. Not a blink of an eye, but in the twinkle of an eye, which is light reflecting off of the eye. It's in the speed of light. So in a moment, the trumpet's going to sound. There's going to be a generation of Christians that are going to be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. That is what uh, we see in the Scripture. And so this Sunday... 
we're going to talk about the imminent return of Jesus Christ, how that doctrine is spoken about in the Scriptures. Now, the second coming of Jesus Christ is when he comes with his church. The rapture is he comes for his church. The second coming, he comes with his church. So I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but Revelation chapter 12 is not going to happen, uh, be fulfilled. Plus, when you read Revelation chapter 12, it's talking about, in the middle of the tribulation period, this one, this world leader who is called the Antichrist, he's going to proclaim himself as God, and as he is rejected by those who, um, by the Jewish nation, because he's going to go into the rebuilt temple, he's going to proclaim himself as God in the temple of God, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, they will say no. He's going to set up an image of himself. It's called the abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 24. At that time, the Antichrist is going to heavily persecute the, the Jews at that time. That's what Revelation chapter 12 was talking about. It's not talking about a lining of constellations in, in the moon and the star. And here's the other thing, Nancy. It's happened before. <laughs> It's happened like four times in the last millennium, and the world didn't come to an end, those those lining up to the constellations. So I know I throw a lot out at you, but I would encourage you, make sure that, you know, um, that you're getting good biblical teaching on the end of days, um, because I believe the Lord could come for us in the rapture of the church at any time. Right, and, and that's I, what I... I want to make sure on that part, because I just need a peace of mind. Well, here's the thing, and we're going to talk in detail on Sunday here at the church, but there's a wonderful promise given in the book of Revelation chapter 3 to the church of Philadelphia, that Jesus said that, I promise that I'll take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to uh, test those who dwell upon the earth. In other words, he says, because you have been faithful, because you have been patient, that I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth. The only time that I know that there's trial or tribulation upon the whole earth is the tribulation period. And he says, I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation. I'm not going to take you through it, but I'm going to take you away from it. But as we look at the New Testament, Jesus said that that I come when you least expect it. So be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the Master's return. So, Nancy, the Lord could come. We don't know the day or the hour, but he could come at any time. And, um, and we are to be watching. That's a commandment, and to be waiting. And he said, occupy till I come. Keep serving him. Keep growing. Keep looking. But these signs that I read to you, they are signs that, as Matthew and Mark says, that are like birth pangs. That as we get closer to the return of the Lord, it's going to happen more frequent in intensity, like a woman who gives birth to a child, to where these signs are going to show us that the kingdom of God is going to be birthed. All right? Okay. Um, thank you. Can I also get a just quick, quick prayer, just a protection over you my bet. family? We just... We just got yes. rid of a, a house, like an heirloom house. Like it's been there for fifty some plus years. Wow! Wow! I just want just watch over our family now that we're in a new chapter. Just 
protection Absolutely. or guidance and help us follow each other, I guess. You bet. Father, I just pray for Nancy and her family. You know, um, the situation with the house that's been in, it's not just a house. It was a home um, for half a century. And Lord, I just pray for their protection, provision, comfort, guidance. I pray that you be with Nancy. Help her to continue to grow in the word. And even as Paul said, when he talked about the rapture of the church, he said, comfort one another with these words, that she would be comforted, that you're going to come for us. Your promises are true to keep watching and waiting. Bless her and her family in Jesus' name. Thanks, Nancy. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. I want to welcome you back to the second half of Calvary Live. And my name is Jeff Figgs. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel Greeley. And I'm your host this afternoon. I have the privilege of being with you on Tuesdays. And uh, so blessed to be with you I want to welcome all of you to the show. This is an opportunity for you to call at 303-690-3000, ask questions about the Bible or Christian living or current events. How does it affect us? And uh, I'd love to be able to talk to you about the things of the Lord. You can also text in a question at 720-336-0897. But I do want to go back to the phone lines. Let's go to Mike in Thornton. Good afternoon, Pastor. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing great. Um, I had a question for you. Um, going through the Bible in Galatians five nineteen through twenty one, there's a list of things going on there, and then Paul says that if you participate in such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I guess I was just wondering what exactly that means. Like as a Christian, if you're saved, you know I always understood that you know that meant all of your sins were forgiven. But if you turn back and practice those things, can you lose your salvation or like? What is exactly going on there? What Paul is saying, and he writes a similar list in, list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I believe. But what Paul is saying, and, and um, as you go to Galatians, let me pull it up um, for you. He's talking about, uh, in chapter 5, he's talking about the works of the flesh and c- compared to the works of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of course, Corinth was a very carnal church. And um, and people read that list and they think, boy, if I, you know, struggle in those areas or something, does that mean I've lost my salvation? That's not what's being said. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 um, that he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And and so in Galatians chapter 5 that you were wondering about, he talks about the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. What Paul is saying is that that those who practice such things, those who are habitually, continually practicing those things, 
um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. The point that Paul is, is making is this, that we are Christians. And as Christians, that it doesn't mean that we won't commit sins. We will. John comes along in his epistle and says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so there's forgiveness. But he, Paul is given warning that those, you can say that you're a Christian, but if there's no conviction and you are habitually continuing in those sins, um, there's a warning that is given there. So I don't think it's it's talking about losing your salvation. Paul in the book of Romans talks about that should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, certainly not. We're dead to sin. Now, it doesn't mean we don't struggle with things of the flesh. It doesn't mean that we won't ever sin. But the person who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, um, it doesn't you know, really matter. I'll do whatever I want and live any way that I want and continue in sin and practice sin. I don't know the heart, but I can't really look at them and say that they are saved or that there's a true conversion that has happened there. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's talking more about the behaviors and the signs of it being, like, how could you be saved and do those kind of things more? Well, here's the thing that I think is really important, Mike, for us to understand, that when we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in us. And the Holy Spirit is there to convict us and to teach us and to empower us to live a life after him. There's still that struggle with the flesh, and that's what Paul's talking about in Galatians. He says that in that chapter 5, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, because the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. So there's still that battle that's there. But when we sin, if, if, if somebody is continuing to practice in sin, knowing what the Word of God says, knowing that they are in disobedience without caring, just going to live any way that they want, there's a heart issue that's there. And when we love the Lord, we're going to want to live for Him. We want to continue to walk with Him. So where exactly is that line? I don't know. I can't judge somebody's heart if they have a true conversion or not, but I can look at the works. I can see, are they ones that, um, you know, they, they claim to be a Christian, but they're living after the world, they're continuing in sin, they're practicing sin habitually. You know, I, I can't say that that person is a Christian or not. It's not for me to say anyway, but um, there's warnings that are given that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the works of the flesh, because we're no longer to walk in the flesh, we're to walk in the Spirit. So I think there's a real key there. There's, you know, um, you know, there's, you know, a Christian should have conviction that, you know what, I'm in sin and I need to turn away and, um, and I need to repent of this. Uh, but it, you know, it's still a struggle for those sins. It doesn't mean that if you commit those sins, that you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's being very clear that if you habitually practice those sins, there's a warning that's given there. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. That clarifies that a lot. I appreciate it. You bet. You bet. And um, again, can't judge the heart, but we can, you know, look at the works and, and um, you know, there should be conviction that is there in our hearts. Hey, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. 
We had um, somebody call in about persecution question, and uh, Brett, if you get a chance to call back, I'd love to talk to you. I know you're on hold a little bit as we're talking about an end-time question. took a little time, but I'd love to talk to you because that persecution question um, is an important subject in the day in which we're living in. But let's go to to line two, the Brent. Oh, awesome. Hey, you really clarified something for me. Uh, uh-huh. with what you just told Mike, because um, I've been struggling with that, and um Lord just spoke to me through that. Um, there's, there's a small group of people that believe that the church will go through the tribulation, or at least a portion of it. Can you give me the scriptures that I can point out that um, show that they're, like that one you just told that young lady, the last young lady that was on, what was, where was that scripture? I need some scriptures that show that the church, and I'm sure there's more than uh, one or two, but can you yeah. list the scriptures, and I'll look them up, where we're not going to be here for the, um, the tribulation? Well, there are those who, um, you know, uh, Brent, that do believe that the rapture is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, or they call pre-wrath about two-thirds through the tribulation or post-tribulation. Mm-hmm. And I, I just kind of want to explain that to our listeners. Is, is your radio on, Brett? No, I turned it off. Okay, yeah, I'm just sure, getting a little... Uh, yeah, it's off. It's not on at all. Okay, all right. I'm just hearing a little feedback. But um, but anyway, Brent, it's it's not the position of, you know, what you take um, that's going to save you. Um, it's, I believe, as I study the Scripture, that the rapture is going to happen before God pours out His wrath in a Christ-rejected world. And the reason that it does is because we see the doctrine of imminency in the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus came along and said in Luke chapter 12 that you be watching and waiting for the Master's return because I come in an hour that you least expect. Brent, to me, that doesn't fit into the mid-tribulation. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit into the pre-wrath or the post-tribulation. So he says, I come when you're least expected. Mm-hmm. He would say in Luke chapter 19, I believe, he talks about his coming. The religious leaders are saying, hey, you know, um, where's the kingdom of God? And the Lord talks about his coming, and in that he says that the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Moses, I mean the days of Noah and the days of Lot, that they were given to marriage, and uh, they were buying and selling. In other words, there was some sense of normality. So in that, we see that the Lord says and gives warnings over and over again that that day is going to come unexpectedly upon those who dwell upon the earth. We see that, um, you know, Paul says to the church of Thessalonica in chapter 1, verse 10, wait for his son in heaven. Which one was that? First Thessalonians chapter one verse ten. Okay. Wait for his son in heaven, and that word "wait" means like if you had a a child that was out at night, and you gave a curfew of midnight, and you're waiting for him to come home. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you ever had any kids, you know that feeling. You're to be waiting. You're expecting him to come. That's where I see the the doctrine of of imminent return all over the New Testament. James, the Lord is at hand, the coming of the Lord's at hand. 
Um, and then Revelation chapter 3 is that special promise, uh, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Yeah, that makes sense right there. That's the one I was looking for. If I could throw one thing real quick, uh, the lesson of the ten virgins, if the if we go through yes. the tribulation, then all ten virgins will have oil in their lamps. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to give you another verse for you to look at, too, from Isaiah. And, uh, and Isaiah says something very interesting that I don't hear quoted mm-hmm. uh, very often. Um, if I can find it real quick, in chapter 26, I believe it is. Yeah, here, here's something Isaiah says. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So here the Lord's saying, my people come and I'm going to shut the doors behind you, hide you as it were for a little moment until the indignation is past to punish the inhabitants of the earth. He's not just talking, that's in Isaiah chapter 26, verses 20 and 21. Okay. The key there, Brent, is he's going to punish the whole earth, not just Judah, not just Jerusalem. This is the whole earth. And there's only one time that's going to happen, and that's the tribulation period. And so he says, I'm going to hide you until the indignation is passed. Does he say um, somewhere we're not appointed to wrath? To yeah, the wrath first on the that's. Earth? And here's the other thing to point out to him, too, that I think is really important. There's a contrast in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, um, and, uh, and it's, it makes sense when you, when you uh, read that contrast. Let me pull it up. When he talks about the rapture of the church, and you're probably familiar with that verse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, here's the thing. He uses the pronoun that... Um, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety. Did you notice the pronoun changes? Mm-hmm. From we to when it comes, When it comes to the rapture of church, it's we. When it comes to the day of the Lord, which is a period of time that begins with the tribulation period, is they. Why is it they? Because we are not going to be here. That's why. Yeah. So those are things that I see in the Scripture. And then he goes on to say, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but attained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Something very similar is said in Luke's Gospel that Jesus would say, Um... And I'll read it to you. And okay. it's really a wonderful hope that we have. Luke chapter 21. He says, Watch therefore, in verse 36, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, he says, Watch, you be praying, because he talks about there's an escape of all these things that come to pass. What things? The things that he just talked about that is going to lead to the coming of the Lord. So all the, the you know, birth pangs, 
that is going to culminate in the book of Revelation, that there's a way to escape that, and that is um, that he's going to come and take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation mm-hmm. that's going to come. I've also heard that in Matthew 24, the door is shut, and that's the same door that's shut in, in Revelations when John is called up, the door shut, same door. And yeah, then, and, and then I you have, have the releasing of the four seals, the four, four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, and what you have is, here's the outline of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things that you have seen, that's chapter 1. Write the things um, that um, are, that is the church age, the, the letters to the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3, mm-hmm. and then write the things that will take place after this, meditata. And chapter 4 starts out with, then... You know, I heard a voice say, come up, and um, and some believe that's a reference to the rapture of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody believes that, but um, that's where they put it, and sometimes it depends on their interpretation of the 24 elders, who they are. Some say that that represents the church, but I'll tell you this, that in Revelation chapter 5, when they are singing a new song, mm-hmm. that great multitude, out of every tribe, tongues, peoples, and nations, that's the song of the church to me. You have redeemed us from your blood, you know, singing to the Lamb that had been slain, of every tongue, nations, peoples, kindreds. That's the song of the church. It's not the song of Israel. It's not the song of the angels. Mm-hmm. It's the song of the church that's in heaven. Then chapter 6, it's the scene changes to the earth in the opening of those seals in the four horsemen. Yeah, I, I I agree, and and I I just don't buy a, a mid-church. It's like it, you know the Lord was He's going to come back for a bloodied and beaten church for the marriage feast well, lamb. And if it was at the end, when would Bama Judgment take place? Yeah, He's going to come for His bride, and you know I don't think it's going to be for a bloody, beaten up bride, but He's going to take us out and away from the hour of tribulation. And you know, here's the other thing too. I was looking at this because in the days of Lot, that He says it'll be like the days of Lot. When the angels went to get Lot and his family out, they they thought, no way that this is going to happen. Um, matter of fact, Lot's um, sons-in-laws um, laughed at him. And they had to grab Lot and his wife to get him out. And here's the interesting thing. When you read that chapter in Genesis, um, that it was the angel that said to Lot, I cannot do anything to this place till I get you out of here. Yeah. I I cannot pour this wrath out on Sodom and Gomorrah till I get you out. And I think that's a picture of us being taken out of that time of wrath that will be poured out on a Christ-rejected world, you know, and those who dwell on the earth. Yeah, the types of shadows are, are predominant. Um, yeah. I want to get off the phone because I know other people want to get on, and I'd love to hear other questions. But thank you very much. Your caller before, Mike. Um, I've really been dealing, struggling with that, and that 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 has really brought a peace to my heart, and that came from the Lord. Good, praise God. Thanks for God calling. Bless. Thank you very much. I'm Brent. listening to Appreciate the show it. continually. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, let's go to to Desiree, Desiree and Thornton. Desiree, are you there? She had, she's gone. She had a question about um, some things and, and wanted prayer. So Desiree, I'll be praying for you. And um, and if you get a chance, call back. Let's go to Bianca and Aurora. 
Hi, Bianca. Bianca, are you there? Bianca and Aurora. All right. She dropped two. She had an end times question. So we got open lines. We still got some time at the end of the show. Love to talk to you. Uh, some questions about end times. And I think it's important for us to understand the blessed hope that we have. As Paul would write to Titus, looking for the uh, appearing of, uh, of you know, uh, God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the blessed hope. Bianca, are you back with us? Bianca? Um, I'm here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm glad we found you. Yeah, well, I have a question about the end of times. I'm kind of wondering. I mean, I know there's the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour or anything like that, but but I'm just kind of curious. Do you think the Antichrist will show up at a time where there's war on this earth or... Or do you think it'll be a peaceful time and somehow the Antichrist will will just bring peace to the areas where there's not? Yeah, good question. Um, Because the Antichrist comes on as a peacemaker. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, he comes conquering on the conqueror. He's white, the right, white horse. He has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's significant because I think that's a symbol of peace. He has, he has a bow, but he doesn't have an arrow. He's right. going to make a covenant according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, with God's people, a peace treaty. Now... Is there going to be wars going on during that time? Uh, I think that at least that there has been wars taking place. One of the wars that is debated when it's going to take place in the latter days is Ezekiel chapter 38, right? Right. When that confederation of nations, uh, Gog and Persia and Cush, um, are going to come against Israel. We know it's going to be in the latter days. It is not the battle of Armageddon. That's a different battle that will take place at the end of the tribulation period. So Ezekiel chapter 38 has not been fulfilled, and it will be fulfilled. Now the debate is, is it going to take place at the beginning of the tribulation period? Is it going to be taking place at that time the Antichrist comes on the scene, and somehow he's a peacemaker, and as a result of that war, They're able to rebuild their temple. There are some that believe it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period that's going to lead up to the Battle of Armageddon. There are some that have suggested that Ezekiel 38 could very well happen even before the tribulation period begins. And we don't know for sure. Uh, We can't be dogmatic, but Bianca, let let me give you something to think about and the listeners out there. I personally think that it very well, because we see the players in place. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, when you see the fig tree bloom, blossom, Hmm. when it begins to bud, that's Israel, right? Right. But Luke says, 
not just Israel, but all the trees, bud, know that my coming is near, that summer hmm. is near. So, and how will we know whether these trees are blooming? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the nation of Israel, the budding of the fig tree, you can certainly put it there in 1948, right? When they became right. a nation. The other trees, when they bud as well, the nations that play a role in the last days, those listed in Ezekiel 38, uh, the revived Roman Empire, kings of the East, when those trees begin to bud, then we know that summer is near, that, that the coming of the Lord is near. So we see in Syria right now, what do we see? We see Russia. We see Iran. Um, the tensions that are there. Are we beginning to see those nations that are mentioned? Is that the budding of them? Could Ezekiel 38 be the next major war in the Middle East? Can't say with real certainty. But here's something to think about. When... Um, Ezekiel 38 is written about the war. In Ezekiel 39, it talks about the cleanup of the war. And it says yeah. that the, Israel is going to take seven years to, to burn the weapons that were used in that war. And what is interesting, Bianca, is that um, it's the only chapter in the whole Bible that talks about the cleanup after a war. <laughs> But for for seven months, they're going to go in. They can't touch the bodies, is what the description is given. And those who are employed put flags by the bodies. To me, that tells me that nuclear or chemical weapons were used of some sort. Right. And it's interesting because somebody in the military was telling me, man, that's amazing after I gave that mm -hmm. teaching because that's exactly what I'm trained to do in the military that after a chemical and nuclear exchange to go in with special suits and flag the bodies because we can't touch the bodies. So there seems to be a prolonged cleanup, and then seven years to burn those weapons. It is also interesting that I know somebody who helped uh, clean up the Rocky Mountain uh, nuclear arsenal, the Rocky Flats, and when they destroyed the weapons, you know how they did it, Bianca? They burned yeah. the weapons, oh. and it took it took seven years. And that's what Ezekiel describes. It took seven years to burn those weapons. So here's a little hint. I don't think that Ezekiel 38 necessarily, and I'm not going to be dogmatic. This is just my opinion, so everybody yeah, yeah. Under, understands. But I don't think it's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. I don't think it's even going to happen at the beginning of the tribulation period. Because the Antichrist is going to heavily persecute the Jews halfway in the tribulation period, they're not going to have time to burn those weapons, or they may not be able to. So that may be a factor in that. Again, we cannot be because dogmatic about it. the church will already be in heaven, right? The church is going to be, I believe, raptured uh, before the tribulation period begins. Right. That's so my that's view. Way before the all this these wars happen, then maybe don't. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But. Yeah, there there is going to be Bianca a little bit of time um, before you know from the time of the rapture until the beginning of the tribulation. How much of time? We don't know don't for sure. Know. Hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, we don't know. So, anyhow. All right. Well, then, thank you so much. It really helps a lot. Yeah, it does. God bless you, Bianca. God bless you. Bye. All right. looks like we're coming to the end of the show. Some good questions about the end times, exciting times in which we're living in. But I, I do want to encourage all of you um, that are listening. I want to encourage you with the words of Jesus as we close here. And that seemed to be a theme uh, of the show that he says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. So watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. You take heed to yourself spiritually. That is, keep praying, keep reading your Bibles, keep seeking the Lord, be in fellowship, make sure that you belong to a church or a group of Christians that are going to encourage you because the world around us really weighs us down. It's all around us, and we don't want our hearts to become dull. We don't want our hearts to be weighed down with the things of the world, even the cares of this life. We all have cares of this life. They're not necessarily bad things, but it can take us away from watching for the Lord. Live every day for Him. Look to Him. God bless you. Thanks for calling in, all you who called in and for listening. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.